we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Don Guthrie, and I was the pastor here at First Baptist from 1996 to 2019, so 23 years of that privilege. The church was in a difficult period when I came. There had been some years of declining attendance and discouragement, and so um, often I would just feel so overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, early on somebody said, what are you going to do? And I said, I really don't know, but I believe if we pray, and not only pray, but do that other step of faith, which is to listen, that the Lord himself would guide this church through me. So sometimes, just in the middle of the week, uh, I, would, I was looking for a quiet place, and this was it. And so I would come in here. Sometimes it was dark. Sometimes there'd be a few lights on. And there have been times that I've walked the room, but 90% of the time, it would always come, would come to this pew. Something about it being just under this overhang and giving me the perspective of the whole room. And I could, I don't know, lift up to the Lord the burden. I could present Him what it was that was stressing me. And then I could just be still. And um, people sometimes talk about the miracle of preaching. And I always say, well, the miracle of preaching is really the miracle of quietness that's preparing your heart to preach. Well, so with prayer. I, I don't know. I would get up from this place and I would feel stronger. I would feel the presence of the Lord again. Prayer is a strange thing is that it's not very efficient in our sense in that you, you don't control God. You never get to be in charge of this, but you do feel loved. You feel heard. And so, um, to the extent that my heart settled and I could find peace, I think the people of God then felt that calm come from me. They, if somehow, if, if you can keep your head and everybody else is in a panic, uh, it, it speaks of the Lord's presence. So, I would say peace, the specific guidance, very often. I, as I would pray, uh, I, ideas would come to me. I would jot them <laughs> back when we used to have paper in these pews. I would steal, you know, a visitor slip and write something on it. And uh, so the blessings, it's not different for a pastor than it is for anybody. What's the blessing from God? It is the presence of Christ. It is finally being able to go, it's not about me. And I, this burden is not on me. The kingdom of God is at work in the world, and the Lord is alive and He's at work. And so sometimes it's just reorienting, recalibrating to, to the invisible world and finding confidence there. My prayer for this church uh, now and for the next 160 years is that God would give us this miraculous mean between kindness and courage, this life that is unique and spiritual and, and actually an absolute puzzle to the world. I think cannot figure that out. And I don't think they're supposed to be able to. Uh, so much has changed in our lives and the life of this church, but God is still good. Former Pastor Don Guthrie uh, retired just a few years ago. 
And that was a feature of our celebration of our 160 years of existing as a church in this city. And these videos are intended to be a reminder for us of the legacy of First Baptist Church, but also the longing of what God has for us. And we could capture that um, in Don's testimony in this video. As we've been talking about redirect, moving towards God together, that's been our emphasis over the past few weeks. This is week three, and we have one more week after this. And listening to Pastor Don, I'm reminded that moving towards God cannot happen without prayer. Repentance and movement cannot happen without us boldly approaching the throne of grace, which the author of the book of Hebrews is pointing to the tabernacle, right? We talked about that that last week or the week before. It's all jumbled now. Um, But boldly approaching the throne of grace happens in that moment in the life of the person that recognizes that where they have been is not where they should be. But they must repent of that and then turn and move towards God. Moving towards God cannot happen without you personally or us corporately coming before God in prayer. And that's my hope for you, that as we continue through uh, this month and talk about redirecting ourselves and moving towards God, that you would have meaningful moments, many meaningful moments of prayer where the Spirit of God has illuminated the places that you have no business being, whether that's in your heart, on your mind, or even in your behavior, and you say, Lord, help me to walk away from that, and I can do it with confidence because of Jesus. In Him, I have forgiveness, and that will help me move towards you. That's my, that's my hope, my hope for you as we all redirect, all redirect ourselves towards God and move towards Him together. Well, I'm Danny, one of the preaching pastors here in the First Baptist family, and it is a delight to be able to lead and worship in this way, to sing songs together that remind us of the worthiness of God and that, that we should give all that we have to Him, not a might I withhold, that we give our all to Him. If you are new with us today, thank you so much for trusting us by walking in this room and worshiping with us today. We hope you feel welcome and have received a warm welcome um, even safely. If you are new with us today, we'd love to know that you're here. You can go to fbcsa.org slash connect. Just a simple way to say, hey, I worshiped with you today. Also, let me encourage you to continue uh, to worship God and all of who He is and His worthiness uh, by giving uh, to the ministry of First Baptist Church as, um, as an offering. And you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. Well, we have been in Chronicles just a few weeks. This Reverse series, our Reverse series and sermon series is entitled Solomon, Building a Place of Worship. And so we've been talking about the temple. We've been talking about David's heart and devotion to God. 
Um, we talked about initially that, um, that repentance really can't happen without movement, right? Repentance can't happen without movement. We can't just say we've done things or have thought things or have felt things and say, well, that's enough. It's not enough for us just to identify our sin, but also we must move away from our sin, right? We move now towards God and away from those attitudes, behaviors, and, and feelings that we have had prior to that moment. And then we also acknowledged that movement cannot happen without Jesus, right? Is that Jesus allows for us to actually move towards God. We looked at the tabernacle, and we looked at that altar where the atonement sacrifice is, and uh, that the washing and the basin of the hands of the feet, and we looked at some of the elements within inside the holy place. Um, and that's a really cool physical picture for us of that moving towards God, because the deeper you got into the tabernacle, the temple, the closer you got to the presence of God. Well, moving towards God, any kind of movement towards God cannot happen without the sacrifice of the Son and the washing uh, and making us sanctified before the Lord. And so Jesus is the means by which we can move towards God, and in that we rejoice. And today we're in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 19. And if you would just stand with me, we're just going to read verses 3 through 5 together. David said, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from Afir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then... Who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? You may be seated. Essentially, that's the question we're going to walk away with today. Are we going to follow David's example in giving of ourselves to the Lord and all of who we are? Let me just off the bat just recognize that this is a whole lot of gold. This is a whole lot of gold, 112 tons. It's 3,000 talents of gold. A talent is a roughly 75 pounds as an Old Testament measurement of, of gold and silver. And if you were to calculate that, some of you probably already done this, if we were to calculate that based upon the value of gold today, that would be about $6.2 billion worth of gold. Now that's only David's amount of gold, not including the silver and not including the amount that he challenged the leaders to give. And they gave an exorbitant amount uh, of gold too. So combined, uh, you have uh, well over $10 billion worth of gold in our today's value given as an offering out of devotion to God and to the building of his temple. And it's important to note that this is a, a free will offering. Um, that's why David describes this. This is a, this is a free will offering. Uh, you see that in verse 6. The king's administrative officers all gave willingly out of a free will offering. And so this is different, right? 
So the law kind of prescribes offerings that you must give this, you must give this, you must bring this, you must bring this. But this was not a command from the law. This was a free will offering that was given simply because of your desire and devotion to God. And that's what this is. This was not under compulsion. This was not a command. This was, this was David expressing, I, I am enamored by God and I'm eager to see the building of his temple, and so I give this offering willingly. In fact, if you read, it says this in verse 3, I am giving all of my own private treasures. All of my own private treasures. Isn't that staggering? I mean, we know he's a king, and we know he probably had wealth coming in all the time, But David is saying, I'm not just giving a part of my private treasure. I'm not just giving a little bit of the surplus that I have. I'm giving all of it. All of it. And we don't know what the other leaders gave, how much they gave of their surplus in terms if it was all or little. But we know that David said, I want you to know that I'm giving everything, all of my private treasure to the Lord. That is staggering, isn't it? And yet we also know, if you know the Scriptures, it's not just the wealthy either who can give extravagantly. Now, you remember the story. It wasn't a story. Jesus was actually at the temple. This is in Mark, and he's sitting beside the offering plate, so to speak. And he's watching as well-to-do, wealthy people give a little bit. And then there's this woman that walks in, clearly doesn't have a lot, but she gives two coins Two mites. We sing about that in the song. Not a mite I withhold. She gave two mites. And Jesus said, she gave more than all the others combined because she gave all that she had. All that she had. And then Dave, uh, Paul talks about this account in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me just read this. This is verses 1 through 4 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So what did they do? They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they they gave not only what they could afford, but far more And they did it of their own free will. And so you have these really incredible, staggering stories in the New Testament of people that even had very little giving of what they had, being incredibly, staggeringly generous out of their own free will. Staggering. And here's the question that I ask myself. What in the world inspires a person, a king, a poor older woman, a church, to give lavishly, staggeringly? What motivates them to do that? What motivates them to give all that they have to the Lord? That's what, that's what I want to know. We have a, an idea of what motivates them. We see this in David's praise and prayer in Second Chronicles. 
If I, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. He gives us some pointers as to what motivated him to give all that he had. This is verses 10 through 17. Let me just read those or a portion. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. This is in front of everybody. Solomon's there, all the major important officers in the army and military and administrative leaders. He says, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. So David lists a few things in this moment of praise. He kind of identifies what is it that really motivated me to give all that I had out of my treasury And the first thing that we notice right off the bat is history. History. He says, oh Lord, the God of my ancestors. Uh, David is enamored with this God because he had been the God of his people from Abraham. Remember, he's taken the people of Israel from a single man to a nation of incredible power and significance and wealth in this period of time. Uh, He has blessed this people. He has rescued them from out of slavery. He has made them a small people to a great people. And so David is saying, listen, my God is worthy because we have history with this God. He's our God. And he has been good. That's not the only reason. David then identifies right away. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. The majesty, the reason that David, along with the other leaders in Israel, were compelled to give so lavishly is because of God's majesty and his holiness and his greatness and his power. David couldn't help himself. David couldn't help himself but give to a God like this because he was in awe of this God. He had known this God. This God had rescued him and and given him strength and had seen him through incredible things. David had seen him at work in the life of his very own people. And he was in awe of the beauty and majesty and glory and holiness of God. Another way to describe it maybe is that he's enchanted by this God. He, He is marveling at his God and the God of his people. There's probably several other things that are happening in these verses that point to why they gave so lavishly, but the last thing that I want to mention is clearly there was incredible humility and need before this majestic God. If you read in verse, beginning in verse 13, it says, Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. There's that awe of who God is. Uh, But who am I and who are my people that we would give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, humility. And we give you only what you first gave us. David was aware enough to know that everything that he had been given, all that 112 tons of gold, was not his to begin with. 
God had given it to him. He was aware of that. In that humility, he was also aware of his desperate need for God's ongoing activity and blessing in their life as a nation and as a person. David, in his humility, is keenly aware that I haven't gotten anywhere without you, and I won't get anywhere without you. I'm not going anywhere. This nation's not going anywhere unless we humble ourselves before you and recognize that you alone are worthy of our devotion and worship. David says, all I have belongs to you. That's in verse 16. He says, O Lord, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you anyway. You know, we know what this feeling is like, this enchantment, this overwhelmingly awareness of the goodness and greatness of things. We know what it's like when we're enamored by a celebrity, right? Anyone encountered a celebrity before in real life, not on the TV screen? You watch where they're going, right? They walk off the plane. You're like, oh, that's. Uh... And, and maybe if you're bold enough, you'll look for an opportunity to get their autograph. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to be in awe of a person. You know what it's like. You know, um, I know what it's like. Listen, if, if you're married, you know what it's like. You see your wife for the first time. You're like, oh, she's really attractive, right? And so that was, that was my moment. That was my moment. I watched Anna with her best friend walk into uh, our church building, a little church building, and, and right away, I was captivated. I became keenly aware that she just walked in the room. I didn't know who she was, and I was self-talking, to, uh, preaching to myself, she's probably too young, uh, you're a single guy in ministry, you don't need to be hanging out and fraternizing with single girls in ministry, and so I was doing everything in my own mind to you know, probably shouldn't go and encounter and, you know. But the reality is, when she walked in the room, I was aware of her presence, right? And now we've been married 19 years in May, 19 years in May. And let me tell you, we, I know what it's like to be captivated because to this day, and maybe this is true of you in your own marriage, but to this day, Much of my schedule and things that I do and think and feel have a lot to do with Anna. If I'm going someplace that she's not aware of, I want to check with her first. I text her or give her a call. If something really awesome is happening to me, I want her to know first. Right? And so I'm always thinking about what does Anna need? What does she think? What What is she feeling? How can I serve her? Where is she? Where is she going to be? We know what it's like, folks, to be in awe of someone in such a way that it shifts the things that you think and do. That's David in this moment. That's David in this moment. Uh, That's these leaders in this moment. And even David says, Lord, you know my heart that I'm giving it with the right motivation. I'm doing it for all the right reasons, not just to make a name for myself or somehow stack up my own righteousness so I can be, uh, so you can look at me and say, wow, David's a really, really awesome dude. He says, no, I'm doing this for the right reason because I'm fully committed and devoted to you. Because God 
is worthy of that kind of devotion. God is worthy of all of it. All of it. All that we have and all who we are. God is worthy. God is worthy. David closes off this section, his, this time of praise with an actual request. This is in verses 18 and 19. He says, O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. What's David's prayer? David's prayer is, may they always recognize and have the heart and mind to declare that our God is worthy of all of it. And Lord, may that never change in Solomon's heart. May he always be enchanted and captivated and in awe of who you are. So much so that he will obey every word that comes out of your mouth. And that he too would give of himself lavishly. That he will give all of it to you. That he will give all of it to you. John Mark McMillan, um, who's, uh, you might not know his name, but he's a very well-known um, songwriter, uh, writes a lot of worship songs you've probably sung here. He said this, to me, re-enchantment is the realization of how rare and important you are and about how rare and miraculous other human beings are, seeing yourself and others. To me, this goes back to the basic Jesus language, love God and love your neighbor. Now listen to this. What does that mean if not to be obsessed with the one to be obsessed with the one that led to your existence and just see that miraculous power in other human beings. I think he's absolutely right. What's going to compel us to move towards God is our total obsession with the worthiness of God and who he is. That he's big and beautiful and holy and majestic and that we have a, a rich history with him individually and corporately, that he has redeemed us out of our sin and has allowed us to be restored to him, that we have promises from now into eternity that God is worthy. And it's that worthiness that moves us to love him and love others the way that we are to be enchanted by him. This mysterious, incredible, awesome God. Listen, the default of the human heart. David had to pray this prayer because the default of the human heart is to creep back into blindness and self-exaltation. Our human heart tends to go backwards to give our first love to other things. That's what tends to happen. So David is like, I know that's going to be the tendency of Solomon and everyone else in Israel just to 
to slowly, our hearts slowly creep back to where we don't see God as worthy, but we exalt ourselves and we exalt other things and we give ourselves to all these other things or, or we even just exalt ourselves and hold on to who we are and keep them and withhold them as offerings to the Lord. David knew that and so he had to pray. And listen to this, verse 19 It says, give my son the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands. Give. And this in the context of the prayer. You know one of the reasons that we can maintain our clear view of the glory of God? To give us a heart to love him and to be fully devoted to him is because God gives it to us graciously. It is the working of God by the power of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer that turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, that opens our eyes so that we can see the truth and beauty of who God is and what he's doing on our behalf. It is God who gives graciously. And so David here humbles himself before the Lord after giving extravagantly and praising God and says, Lord, I pray on behalf of Solomon and these leaders that you give them the kind of heart that will always see you as worthy. And that's really the battleground of the human heart as believers. The battleground of the human heart to have a proper view of God begins in that moment of prayer that Pastor Don was talking about earlier. Coming to the Lord God, a keen awareness that we've got to turn from where we've been. I don't see you as I ought. I don't exalt you as I ought. I give my life to so many other things. And it's that moment of repentance That we then say, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, now give me the kind of heart that sees you worthy. Changes my behavior. Propels me to give myself as an offering. All of it. There are a few places in my own life where I experience God's giving to me to be able to see him the way that he really is. I don't know if this is true for you, but I want you to listen to this. One of the ways that I see God giving to me so that my heart can be in the right place is by me seeing God in creation. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time because I, I don't always get just enamored by stuff the way that I ought to. We should. I remember when I was uh, a, a junior in high school, I was at a summer camp in Switzerland. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I grew up as an MK, so I had the privilege of being in different parts of the world. And I was in Switzerland, and we were in a room, actually not much like this, maybe just a little bigger. And it actually had these, uh, just like this, it had these um, blinds that would come down and go up automatically And at some point in this time of worship, someone really smart uh, flipped the switch and those blinds came open. And to the left of us, it was just this kind of blue hue. And to the left of us are these, this incredible uh, panorama of the Alps. I mean, everything that you can imagine. The Alps looking like with the snow-capped peaks. And in that moment, I was kind of raptured in that moment like, God is worth it. God is worthy. Maybe that happens for you. 
Um, the other place that that tends to happen for me when God gives graciously so that my heart can be captivated by his worthiness is in this context, right here, worship, together. Being together in a room where we sing songs of praise and we receive the word of God and we respond to God in faithfulness. It's that, those moments where I, I, can, I can be caught up in singing the words off a screen or uh, in a hymnal and, and I can be reminded once again that God is worthy. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's, it's kind of like, I mean, there's, all the feels are there. You're like, man, it is good to be a child of God. And you're reminded of, of who God is and what he's done and his holiness and truth. In worship. That's one of those moments where I experience through the Holy Spirit God giving me the kind of heart that I need to have. Uh, the last place, and there, there are probably others, but the last place that I want to talk about is, is um, when I take the time to sit in God's word. I see his worthiness there, and that is a gift of God for me to be able to see. Uh, David prayed in Psalm 119, Lord, Open my eyes so that I might see the wonderful things in your word. You will not see wonderful things in God's word unless you're opening God's word. And I don't do it enough, brother and sister. But let me tell you, the moments that I've most clearly seen the beauty and worthiness of God, where I believe is a gift of God's grace, just how David is praying, God said, give Solomon a heart that never changes. I experience that giving of God when I open his word and see him for who he is in his word. I see his worthiness. And I'll, I'll jot something on the side and, uh, and I'll, I'll underline it and, and I'll say, yes, he's worthy. He's worthy of all of it. I don't know what kind of strategies you have, but you can't be enamored with God it, except by the help and grace of God. But you must posture yourself for the giving of all of you, all of who you are, by fighting this kind of fight. Today we are going to have a very different kind of response time. A very different kind of response. I'm actually going to ask you to move. Moving towards God together. So this is our redirect moment. Let me ask you, what parts of your life have you given to something else or kept to yourself? Just think for a moment. You might need to close your eyes, but reflect with me for a moment. What parts of your life your identity, your stuff that you have kept to yourself or you've given to someone else or some other thing. Maybe it's time or energy. Maybe it's your schedule, your family. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your wealth. It's yours. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your own image. But what have you been keeping to yourself? What have you been hoarding in your own surplus of your own life? Can I remind you that God is worthy of all of 
all of it. Will you give it to him? I want to challenge you to think of just one or two things. And likely they've already popped into your head. In the back there are two canvases. And we want to do this safely. Uh, But we would ask that all of you, at the right time during this song, we have Sharpies on a table. They're kind of spaced apart. But we'd ask that during this time of response, during this song, that you would actually move. Get up from where you are and go write that word on that canvas. Again, there are two of them in the back corners. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then at the start of this song, and I'm going to ask you to move. And when you go write that word, are those two words that capture your offering. Or this is, this is this thing I'm giving you today. I'm going to give you my schedule. I'm going to give you my kids. I'm going to give you my time. Whatever. Whatever it might be. Let's pray. Father, you alone are worthy. Help us believe that. Help us to be enchanted by your mystery and your bigness and your holiness. And Lord, help us to give of who we are, whether that's finances or time or energy. You are worthy of all of it. So Lord, I pray the prayer of David. Give these people a heart that never changes. And Lord, give them now that word, that attitude, that behavior, that thing that they might give it over to you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.